the glory of Christ in the camp of Israel. And that's just for uh, an opening verse. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. Uh, Psalm 20, please. Psalm 20. I'm just going to lift out one verse. And that's verse 5. We will rejoice in thy salvation, and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. The Lord will fulfill all thy petitions. Notice that we will set up our banners. Now when we speak about setting up the banners, or when the psalmist speaks about setting up the banners. Speaking about the banners of Israel, and I know someone maybe listening to this together won't be able to understand, but on the wall here you'll see these banners. We're going to look at these banners from the tribes of Israel. And this was a, a, a declaration of a war procession as they went into war. And you'll look at it in the camp of Israel You'll look at it from a bird's eye point of view as we go through the scripture. And the glory of Christ is in it from the beginning. So turn with me, if you will, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 48 to begin with. We're just going to lift out some verses. Mark them in your your Bible or if you're taking notes, mark them. Read the chapters when you go home. So Joseph brings his two sons, one called Ephraim, one called Manasseh. And he brings his two sons to his father, Jacob, who is called Israel now. And he's dying. So he's going to pronounce a blessing upon the lads, okay? And in Genesis 48, just for time's sake, verse 8, and Israel, that is Jacob, Israel, beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he he said, Bring them, I pray them unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, towards Israel's left, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger. And he left his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Notice, so what he does is he brings his sons up to, up to Israel, who is Jacob Israel, and he brings the youngest, who should have had Jacob's left hand on his head, and the eldest, who should have had Jacob's right hand upon his head for blessing, because Manasseh uh, was the eldest son, Ephraim was the younger son. And so really, if you remember because we're facing each other now, your, your left 
is what? My right. And my right is your left. So you imagine them coming up. But instead of having the left on the left and the right on the right to bless, Jacob or Israel crosses both his hands over like an axe multiplication sign. And he puts his right hand on the head of the younger, who is Ephraim, and his left hand on the elder, who is Manasseh. And he starts to bless them. Joseph tries to remove them because he's bad eyesight. And he says, no, father, that's wrong. Now notice this in verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me. The word angel is capital R. It doesn't mean it's an angel that you people genuinely generally think off with a couple of little wings and so on. This is the angel or the theophany as it's known. This is a visible manifestation, not a created being, but of God himself. This is the Lord Jesus who was with him, pre-Bethlehem. The angel which redeemed me. Remember, redemption, redemption here, and this angel of the Lord. Now, Jesus is not an angel. Please don't get me wrong here. He's a theophany. He's, an, he's a, a visible manifestation of God himself. Redemption and Christ are always linked. Do you notice that? Redemption, the angel or Jesus who redeemed me all my life, who's looked after me all my life. And that comes right down to the Son of God, Lord Jesus, being flesh. The Redeemer who has come then to pay for our sins through his shedding of his own blood. And even here, he's redeeming at this time. Notice, let my name, Israel's name, be named on them. In the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. There's a prophecy given unto these two boys. In the midst of the earth, they have to grow into a multitude. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto, unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. So he's going to change him. Say, you've got this wrong, daddy. Now notice this. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people. He also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude or a commonwealth of nations. Ephraim shall be a multitude or a commonwealth, that is, or a company of nations. There's the prophetic word given to his seed. Now notice, and Israel said to Joseph, pardon me, where am I? Uh, verse 20 and he blessed them that day saying in thee shall Israel bless saying God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh and he set Ephraim before Manasseh so the blessing is not only would become multitudinous of nations or a commonwealth or a company of nations but Manasseh would be a great nation and then he says people will say we want to be like your nations God make ours like you and Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Now, we know there's 12 tribes in Israel. Isn't that right? This becomes known as the 13th tribe. So it was really 13 when we start adding them up. 
Joseph is one of the ten, the twelve. So when he, his name is used, but he, he's removed because his blessing is on his two sons, which makes up thirteen. Twelve minus one's eleven, and two makes thirteen. But we always just usually say the twelve tribes. Now we go into first forty, chapter forty nine. We're just going to skip across this. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you which shall befall you. Notice when it says the last days. Now when we're looking at scripture, when is the last days? It's now, isn't it? So this is going to be something that's happening now. These these prophecies are for now. And then he goes on, uh, Gather yourselves together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and hearken to your father, Israel your father. Then he starts, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might in the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Then he says, Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because I went to stop to thy father's bed, and then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. Reuben, the firstborn, loses his birthright. So all the blessings of the birthright should have went to Reuben, the firstborn of the twelve sons. And he loses it. The wonderful thing is when we go into Moses, even though Moses, we know Moses of the law, Moses actually shows grace and the blessing at the end of Moses' life, the tenth and final blessing of Moses, Moses then prophesies and says, let Reuben live and not die because Reuben was going to die out. Let Reuben live and not die. It'll show you the grace of God. Even through the law, we're all lawbreakers, yet God's grace finds us. Where the law is death to us, but grace is life. So there's Reuben. Mark Reuben, and then we're just going to have to jump down these. First five, Simeon and Levi, our brethren. And then when we go on down again to verse 8, here's Judah. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hands shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. So Judah means praise. Judah means praise. Now notice, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Who's Shiloh? Shiloh is found in verse 16 of the last chapter. The angel which redeemed me. From all evil, bless the lads. Who was that we said? The Lord Jesus Christ. Pre-Bethlehem appearance of the Son of God. Can you see that now? So now he's saying Shiloh will come and unto him will be the gathering of the people. But from then Judah will have uh, the scepter. In other words, the king will come from Judah. The scepter was the king's rod. And he says the scepter will come from Judah. It will not depart until Shiloh come. Until Jesus come. So Judah has to have a scepter, a kingly line. And of course we look down through time when they, Israel want to be like the other nations and have a king. We find that when they have the, the king then, we have all those kings from it. And then we have the Lord Jesus, who is the land of the tribe of Judah. Isn't that right? The king. Notice when it says here, verse 11, binding, binding his foal onto the vine. And his ass's coat to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. Now notice in verse 9, Judah is a lion's whelp. So the lion in Judah, the king 
comes from Judah. Then when we get to verse 13, Zebulun is mentioned. Verse 14, Issachar was mentioned. Issachar become known as a tribe who can discern the signs of the times. God gave them a special anointing to be able to, to see what was happening in the times. And then when we go to the next verse 16, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an otter in the path that biteth the horse's heels so that his rider shall fall backward. And then an exclamation comes out. There's a great cry comes out in verse 18. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Now let me stop. See Dan, D-A-N. Now in the original, in the Hebrew, there isn't any vowels. So it's just D-N. And for example, Dan shall judge. Dan means judge. Okay? So in that you can have D-A-N or D-O-N or D-U-N. They're all vowels in the middle. Is not right? A-E-I-O-U in the English. They aren't in the Hebrew. So D-A-N is really judge, but we put it there for our English reading. D-A-N. And since it means judge, for example, Adonai means God, who is the sovereign judge. Adon, A-D-O-N-I, is God the judge. So here we have Dan. Dan, Don, and Don will all mean the same. It's all judge, A-E-I-O-U, really for our English, but it means the same. Everybody with me? So I'm bringing you to somewhere here. Notice this, he is a serpent. And yet then we're told that one of his banners was an eagle. Okay? But notice this. We're going to look at this in a minute. God is with him. A troop shall overcome him. Asher, his bread shall be fat and yield royal dainties. Sounds like the bakery, doesn't it? That's where they've probably got it from, you know, obviously. Not to lie, So notice, then it goes to Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful boy, even a fruitful boy, by a well whose branches run over the wall. And that again becomes prophetic. That has already happened. When did that happen? Remember I was telling you about the two houses of Israel separating, the 12 tribes? 13 as we know now, but the 12 separating. Well, remember they became known, the northern kingdom became known as Joseph. That's one of the names for them. Joseph ran over the wall, started going west. Branches run over the wall. Fruitful vine started showing fruit high through the gospel. You see it all coming to pass now. Notice the archers of sorty graved and shot at him and hated him. His, but his bow abode in strength and his arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of, of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd stone of Israel. Now, I don't want to go into all of this, but if you read down there, you'll see all the blessings of the blessings of the deep and the blessing. And you know, when you think of us, we have the blessings of the North Sea oil, we have the blessings of around the world, we have the blessings of the riches of the world that God blessed us with. Benjamin is a Ravnum wolf, notice. And he says, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is it, that their father spake unto them and blessed them, every one according to his blessings, and he blessed them. And when was this to happen? And the, what days? Last days. And we know that we count the last days from Calvary to now, don't we? 
It has to be this age. But now we want to look at Numbers chapter 2. So we all, I think we're all schooled enough. If not, let me just give you a quick glimpse of this. Joseph is sold into slavery, remember? In the pit with his brothers. He goes to Potiphar's house. And then he goes from Potiphar's house from into, from into the prison because he wouldn't lie with Potiphar, Potiphar's wife. And she cries rape, if you remember. And then we, we have the, the Pharaoh's dreams and he's brought out of prison to interpret the dreams. And, and then after that, we have his father Jacob and his brethren coming down into Egypt. Is not right? And then we have the story of Moses and Israel in Egypt and the coming out and so on. So now we're on the other side of the coming out of Israel out of Egypt. And in Numbers chapter 2, the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own. See the word standard. So here's the banner or the standard. With the ensign of their father's house, far off about the tabernacle of the congregation shall they pitch. Here's just a little sidelight before we go into this. Far off from the congregation. I'll maybe do this in another study because it'll be take too long. But when you, when you go into this, we're actually given the, the distance that has to be from the camp of the people away from where the tabernacle would be. And do you see when you take that distance from the very temple in Jerusalem and you were to draw a circle around it? Like if, uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, what is it? Perimeter. Yeah, perimeter, that distance. It, bring you, it gives you an idea where Calvary would be in that. Because that's a pattern set right through the scripture. And so he says, you set the people outside there. And so outside the old city walls, outside the gate, when we go to the eastern side, we come not to Gordon's Calvary. We come to the Mount of Olives. I think about this. I'll do this more in depth. And I know this is just throwing this at you. But if you imagine that the temple is facing east for the rising of the sun. And the great curtain is there. And behind that curtain, the sun will shine at that curtain. Behind that curtain is the Holy of Holies. The temple is facing east. Then Jesus, to see that curtain ripped and torn when he was dying in Calvary's cross, had to be further east again. And further east in that distance is Mount of olives. So is Calvary really at the Mount of Olives? And what do you, what do you see? What, when, we look, when we look at that, we'll look at it in more detail. Because he's looking with the sun, as it were, in the east. He is the rising of the sun, as it were. That morning star. And when we look at it, he looks at the temple. And the temple veil is rent in twain. So he has to be further east. And the distance means it brings them right outside the city walls. I'm told that, that the, the skull-like features at the bus stop of Gordon's Calvary is only like a few hundred years old. It's were just of the rock. And because it looks like a sort of skull, if you squint hard enough, that's why they think that. Christ, remember? was taken up from the Mount of Olives. He, he was arrested at the Mount of Olives. He slept in the Mount of Olives. He prayed in the Mount of Olives. So it's quite possible he died at the Mount of Olives. And he's coming back again to the Mount of Olives. 
So notice this. Verse 3. And on the east side toward the rising of the sun shall the shall they of the standard of the camp of Judah pitch throughout their armies, right? So Judah is on the eastern side of the camp of Israel or off the eastern side of the tabernacle. Is everybody with me? So if you can imagine you're looking down from the sky upon the tabernacle on the eastern side, that's where the Judah was camped. But he had three other uh, 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 tribes with him his was the head or the banner head of the of that tripart um, camp. Notice verse five. And those that do pitch next unto him shall be the tribe of Issachar. Verse six, seven. Pardon me. Then the tribe of Zebulun. So there were three tribes in the east, with Judah being the head, being the what the lion. Isn't that right? Their symbol was the lion. You can see it on the. It's way down at the bottom there of our. I know people listening to this can't see it. That banner way at the bottom. See the three tribes there at the bottom? Judah, there's a main tribe. So we have them there. And then, when we come down to verse 9, the end of verse 9, it says, These shall first set forth. What do they mean? This was their marching battle orders and traveling orders. So whenever they were moving the pitch, lifting up the tent, or the tabernacle, they wrapped it all together. Judah headed out first. Remember, the king went first. The king tribe, the kingly line, the scepter line went first, but the praise went ahead of the people. Is everybody with me? Then his three tribes, or two tribes behind him. Now notice again, on verse 10, on the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben. And let your eye run down verse 12. And those which pitch by him shall be the tribe of Simeon. And then verse 14, then the tribe of God. And then let your eye run down to the end of verse 16. And they shall set forth in the second rank. So we have Benjamin, Simeon, and God. Is with me? So now we have the east. And now we have the south. Let your eye run down to verse 17. Then the tabernacle of the congregation shall set forward with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camp. As they encamp, so shall they set forward every man in his place by their standards. So the Levites were who? They were the ones who ministered in the tabernacle. So he's saying the Levites, they're actually the only ones who are allowed to Minister here. So, what are the Levites like today in our nation? They're like the church, the ministering church. And what he says, if you want, they're called actually. Actually, the Bible calls it the church in the wilderness. And so they're gathered. They gather up, and whenever they encamp, they actually go out and say, "Your camps are over here, and your camps are over here." And the Levites make sure everything was done in order. Notice when we go down. The verse 18, and on the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim. We've heard that now, haven't we? Joseph's son, who was the younger, but got the birthright blessing. Now notice where is he? On the west side. That's important. On the west side of the camp of Ephraim, according to their armies. Let your eye run down to verse 20. And by him shall be the tribe of Manasseh. Here's his brother and his families. 
And then when we go to verse 22, and the tribe of Benjamin. And then when we go down to verse, the end of verse 24, and they shall go forward in the third rank. So we have Ephraim, his brother Manasseh, and Benjamin. Okay? Now, verse 25, the standard of the camp of Dan shall be on the north side. Letter I run down, verse 27, and those that encamp by him shall be the tribe of Asher. Verse 29, then the tribe of Naphtali. And then when we go down to the end of verse 31, they shall go hindmost with their standards. Now, we have four main banner heads. Judah in the east, okay? We have Reuben to the south. We have Ephraim to the west. And we have Dan to the north. Okay? Now thinking about this, Dan is an adder, so one of his symbols was the snake, which talks about that which is on earth. In fact, in scripture, there's places Dan went to and they changed the names to the name of their father, it says. And everywhere they went, they changed it to Don something. Well, the vowel isn't there, so Don or Don or Don. Now, when you also have then the symbol of Don became the eagle. When we look at Don in the north, we have the eagle. Okay? The eagle in scripture speaks of deity. Now think about this. The eagle in scripture speaks of deity. To the south of the camp was Reuben. Remember Reuben defiled his father's bed and lost the birthright? Speaks of depravity. Depravity of human nature. Isn't that right? So to the east, west, that's your west, to the west we have Ephraim. Ephraim was a bull or a unicorn. Okay? And that speaks of servanthood. And to the west, or to the east, was the lion. That speaks of royalty. Now notice, God, the eagle, came down as man, okay, he was the servant of all, yet he was the king of glory. Can you see it now? Isn't that powerful? And in the midst of that is a tabernacle, and that shows that he is God in all, through all, and over all. Isn't that powerful? Is everybody with me on that? So you can see the glory of Christ in the camp of Israel. And these are their banners that they camped under and that they uh, lived under. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. Let's just... We'll have to skip through these for time's sake. Verse 4. And I looked and behold... A whirlwind came out of the north, 
Notice where it comes from. Everything that comes from, well, it means the north, it can mean from the heavenlies. Okay? Promotion cometh not from the east or from the west, but from the north, from God. Isn't that right? So notice, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and the brightness was about it, and the midst, in the mid, of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, and out of the midst of the fire. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Now notice this. And every one had four faces. And every one had four wings. And their feet were straight feet. And the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had, they had the hands of a man under their wings and, and, pardon me, under their wings on their four sides. They four had their faces on their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. And they turned not when they went, they went every one straight forward. So really the idea is it's not spinning round. It's moving from side to side. It didn't need to turn. It gives the idea of omnipresence, omnipotence of deity. Okay? Now you need to stay with me here because this is important. Notice this. Verse 10, And for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man, mark this down, the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side, and they four had the face of an eagle. It's the banners of the main... Tribes in the encampment. Do you see that? So when we go down, verse 15. Now as I beheld the living creatures, behold one wheel upon the earth and the living creatures with his four faces. So when we, when we look at this, we're seeing the four figureheads of these four banners becoming from heaven. So what it's telling us is that the glory of Christ is in this. The glory of Christ is it? Now, I'm going to bring you a little bit further. If you want to read Ezekiel 10 uh, when you go home, it speaks of the four faces again. We'll not go into it again now. But when we get to the Gospels, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each Gospel has a theme. Some of them are a little crossover in the sense like this. So, for example, uh, Matthew may present the Lord Jesus as a man. Some say that's the king one, but says the man. Mark can present him as a lion. Luke can present him as an ox. And John presents him as an eagle. Now some say, well, it's maybe a little bit different. Um, but um, that's the main thrust of it. So man, lion, ox, eagle. For example... Um, Hebrews chapter um, chapter 2 please Hebrews chapter 2 and I derive on down to verse 16 notice for verily he took not on him the nature of angels but he took on him the seed of Abraham he's a man God became man. He took on him the seed 
of Abraham. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. We know it well. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Why? Because he was a man. Yet he was God. Son of God. Son of man. When we go to Genesis uh, 49, 49 and verse 8, which we will not go to because we looked at it already, he is a, he is pictured as a, as a lion in the, in the Gospels. So what it means is that he is the lion of Judah. He came from the tribe of Judah. And when we go to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, the risen Christ is in heaven. And John is given the, the vision on, from the Isle of Patmos. And there's weeping in heaven because there was a book with seven seals that couldn't be opened. And even the strong angels, none could open the book. And loose the seals are off to open the book. And the elder says to John, weep not, for the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. And who is he speaking of but the Lord Jesus Christ? So he is not only as he uh, a man, but he's also as the lion. And then we could go down to Deuteronomy 32. We looked, we talked about this briefly. Let's go to Deuteronomy 32. Well, that's a verse or two out. And let your eye run down to verse, verse 11. As an eagle stirreth up her nest and fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings and taketh them and birth them on eagles' wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. He made him to ride on the high places of the earth, that he might increase, eat the increase of the fields, and he made him to suck honey out of the rock, oil out of the flinty rock, and so on. So who is the eagle that stirs up the nest but the Lord himself? Who is the eagle that bears us on our eagle's wings? The Lord himself. So here he is now, and he is, as it were, the eagle. The eagle speaks of the Lord in Deuteronomy 32. The Lord is represented as an eagle, so it speaks of God or deity. Isn't that right? Go to Revelation chapter 12 then. Revelation chapter 12. And I've told you about this the other week, but we'll just do it briefly. The first one, there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Mark that Genesis 37 briefly. I'll just pick a couple of verses out. Genesis 37. Everybody still with me okay? Yeah. Genesis 37. Verse 9. Talking of Joseph, and he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. Behold, the sun and the moon, notice, and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this? Dream thou hast dreamed. Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow ourselves down to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. So there his father says, you're dreaming about me as the sun, your mother as the moon, 
and your brothers as these 11 stars and Joseph being the 12th star. So can you see the family of Israel here? Okay, so when we take that pattern to Revelation chapter 12, who is the woman clothed with the sun and the moon and her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars? It's Israel. It's scattered Israel because, look, she being, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns upon his head, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman. The woman is Israel. So the woman, the dragon tries to destroy Israel the whole way through the scripture. Isn't that right? Whether it's the kingdoms of Babylon or before that even, Egypt. You know, we go right back. Babylon to Medo-Persia, to Greece, to the pagan Roman Empire. And when Israel is scattered in west, as in Joseph the fruitful boy coming west, what happens? Mystery Babylon the Great goes west. Where? Into the Rome and then into the papal Rome. And so mystery, spiritual religion, is now attacking that same woman, Israel, in the West. Can you see the theme right through it, the whole way through it? So notice this. In this um, where are we? Yes. The dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Reminds you of Herod here, isn't it? And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who is that but the Lord Jesus? Isn't that right? So here's the thing. Sometimes the Catholic Church says this is Mary. Now, if this is, did, Mary give, did Mary give birth to Jesus? Yes, she did. Of course she did. But is this Mary in the Scripture? No, it's not. Because it's already a, uh, through the Scripture we told that this is Israel. Notice, for devour her child as soon as it was born. So she brought forth a man child who's the rule of nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. There's his ascension, isn't it? Remember, John's getting this vision after the ascension of Christ, after the outpouring of the Spirit. Probably here, I'm just off the top of my head, this is probably 60-something, 70 years later. And then verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness... This is the dispersion then of all of Israel, AD 70. Remember, whenever Titus comes. The woman fled into the wilderness, which she had a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. I'll talk about that again some other time. So you can see that this woman and the mystery religion followed it right through. Okay. Stay with me a minute. Revelation 4, please. Revelation chapter 4. Let's just lift out another verse. Okay, so verse 7. So John sees beasts and elders around the throne... And notice what it says now. And the first beast was like a, a lion. And the second beast was like a calf. And the third beast had the face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. 
What is this saying to us? You see, in the Old Testament, we are saying, we're, we're giving, we're given uh, visions of what is to come. Christ comes and fulfills all of them because he's God who gave them. He's the son of God. He fulfills it. And now in glory, everything to do with the scripture, everything to do with prophecy, everything to do with heaven revolves around the person of Christ. Everything. Everything revolves around him. The whole of heaven revolves around him. Does that make sense? Now you can see this all represents all that you've been seeing. This is what the prophets seen. Look, here's what John's getting this as a vision. This is what the prophets see. So whenever we think of the eagle, Deuteronomy 32, deity, we think of, I think I maybe stopped actually too soon in Revelation 12, if you want to go back to it. I'm just going to look. Maybe I didn't, maybe I read it there. I can't find it now, but I've just done the top of my head there. But whenever we look at this, notice here, deity, eagle, God. We think of John chapter 1 and verse 1, don't we? John represents or presents Christ as God. As this great eagle, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. For example, if you do, if you, when you go home, you search the genealogies, the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. Matthew in chapter one gives the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, starts his gospel with Jesus being the son of Abraham. Luke, in his genealogy, he goes, brings the, the, He brings the lineage of the Lord Jesus the whole way back to past Abraham and right to Adam. Mark doesn't give us any of it and he has Jesus just exploding on the scene 30 years of age coming to be baptized. Don't get any of it. But John brings us past the baptism in the water of Jordan brings us further by Abraham, takes us further than Adam, and he brings the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ right into eternity. He says he's God. The word was with God. That's God. All things were created by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that powerful? Can you see? So he's going one to Abraham. I pardon me to Adam, to Abraham, to his baptism. He goes right back out into eternity again. So God comes down from eternity, enters into time, does everything for our redemption and salvation, and is brought back out into eternity again. I'll show you some of these and we'll finish. So, the lion is the king or the overcomer. John 17. I have to excuse me because I actually just jotted these. I just jotted them down that wee bit of paper. 
about a half an hour before I came out, try to think of a few of them. Um, and maybe I should have done it on a different day. And, but for some reason, I just really wanted to bring this tonight to you. Uh, John chapter 17. Listen to what the father says to his son. You ready? Verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished, the, or pardon the son says the father, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest thou me to do. And now, O father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the word was. Isn't that powerful? And God was shown us all the time in the banners and in the encampment of Israel. My presence, my glory. Until the person of Shiloh that Christ himself comes. Notice, so here he's shown himself as the overcomer. I had the glory with you. Now give me the glory back, Father. And the Father says, I've glorified you, son. So the sacrifice, if you want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, what's the sacrifice? The ox. The ox of Ephraim. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me just get it myself. And let's just look at verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is what? Sacrifice for us. The oxen was a sacrificial animal. He was a servant. Jesus says, Father, he says, I have come to do thy will, to serve his father. But then he says, the son of man has, not come to, has come to serve and not to be served. So the ox represents the service. And here the greatest service was he laid down his life and became the sacrifice. In John chapter 19, I've just picked a couple of these. I could have given you a lot more, but John 19. Just let your eye run down to verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Sacrifice. The greatest sacrifice ever. Ever. You know, he was rich and he became poor for our sakes, isn't that right? That we, through his poverty, might be made rich. And what about the man, Reuben, intercessor? We all know First Timothy 2 and 5, for there is one mediator between God and men. What is it? The man, Christ Jesus, isn't it? The man. You see, in the beginning was the word. The word, word is the word logos. Uh, and, and, and a kin word for us in our English would be, so if you go and you see the golden arches when you're driving down, you know what shop that is, don't you? Which one is it? McDonald's. If you see a, a white tick 
You know what it is. It's the Nike brand and we could go on, couldn't we? We know what it is. You see, that's their logo. It speaks of everything that they are and stand for. It speaks of what you get there is what is represented here. And Jesus, the logos of God, he is the, uh, the eternal word, son of God. And this logos becomes flesh, the son standing before us. Everything that God is, he is. Everything that God is, he is. So he's the logo, logos, the the spoken word of God, the eternal word of God. He who was with God and is God, was God and is God. Still God. Clothed in flesh. And what we find in John 1 and 1 in the beginning was the word. If, if in ancient writings, the logos or the word was known as the intermediary or the intercessor. So in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God who at sundry times and divers manners Spake in time pass unto the fathers by the prophets. What happened was the word from God came to the prophet. The embodiment of flesh, the word took on as it were an embodiment of flesh as it comes upon a prophet. Thus and thus saith the Lord and he speaks unto the nation. But that was it finished. The word goes out. Will not return unto God void because the words went out. The difference is he who is the word embodies flesh eternally. And he walks as the fullness from head to toe, the fullness of the word of God. He walks about and he speaks. God speaks. As he does, his father does. You getting about you getting it? Isn't he he wonderful? He's amazing, isn't he? And this is the one they nailed to the tree. They crucified him. This is the one they killed. This is the one men reject. And he went to a grave. And he lay for three days. But this is what he says. No man taketh my life from me. I have the power to lay down my life. And I have the power to take it again. On the third day, up from the grave, he arose. Isn't that powerful? Now when he ascends into heaven, the word, the logos in ancient writings was that mediator that came to the prophets. But here's the, 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 the permanent eternal word. And what does he become? The intercessor. The mediator. Permanently. Between God and man. Not just a prophet when the spirit came on him. Permanently in flesh. Stands before his father. Permanently. I fall in love with him. All over again when I think of these things fall in love with him all over again 
And notice, notice this. We're coming to a close. In John uh, 19 and verse 5, you might be still on the same chapter. John 19 verse 5. Then came forth Jesus, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, what does he say? Behold the man. Listen. Reuben defiled his father's bed, lost his birthright. He's the tribe of the south. In other words, downwards. Shows the depravity and sin of man. And God came down in flesh, the person of his son, like unto sinful flesh, not in sinful flesh, but like unto sinful flesh, he became, as it were, the Reuben because he took our sin on him. He became that Reuben. Why? That we could be lifted up in eagle's wings. And one day, Paul tells us that we're going to judge. Remember Don the judge? We're going to judge angels. Rotten, filthy sinners going to judge angels. powerful isn't it so this is the glory of Christ behold the man Pilate says and by the way the behold is emphatic it's it's an ecstatic utterance it gives the idea of an exclamation and he brings out Christ after he's been through all he's went through that night and all the stuff that they've done with him and they bring him out mocking him with a purple robe on him and the blood's pouring out of him and he brings him to the Jewish crowd and they say, he doesn't say look behold the man the idea is he shouts out loud with a, it's like a, a, a tone of surprise for them and exclaiming behold the man look at him it means look at him see that went through enough there's Christ standing before them the one who came, who was spoken of even in this glory in the camp of Israel. And he said, away with them. We will not have this man to rule over us. So he's the man. And lastly, the exalted eagle. Hebrews 1. Hebrews chapter 1, please. We are finishing now. And that's your eye run down. I just take chapter 1, verse 1. God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time pass unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. <laughs> and here is because we are seated in where? Heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He is risen. He is exalted because he lives. We shall live also. Isn't that right? Notice verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. That's the permanent, visible, physical expression of the word of God in the Son. Whom he hath appointed her of all things, by whom also he made the words. The one who made the words. By him he made the words. And now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. We're seated in there with him. Positionally, that is who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, by himself, 
There's no help here. None came to his rescue. There was none could share the load nor take the burden when he had by himself purged our sins. What did he do? Sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The great eagle has risen from the dead, ascended into glory, and now he's sitting in a place of power and all authority. Isn't that fantastic? Hebrews 10. That's right, run down. Verse 12. But this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected How long? Forever. Forever. He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And what did he do? Did he leave us alone? No. When he ascended, he gave us the Holy Spirit. Why? That we would have the word the spirit to carry out as the body his literal physical body is is risen glorified and ascended to glory but we now as his body have the word and the spirit to carry out the glory of Christ in the camp of Israel isn't that fantastic may God bless his word to all of our hearts tonight